football is back. 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 Welcome to the Backs to the Wall podcast. Four mates talking all things football with some special guests and other sporting shenanigans thrown in as well. This week on the wall, football is back. We'll be looking at the football leagues around the globe as they begin to return. Football already got underway in the Bundesliga in Germany and the Premier League and La Liga are not too far away either. Our send into the reserves feature is back as well, where we each nominate a player we'd like to send to the reserves who've been particularly poor either on or off the pitch. And with more football to bet on, the lockdown accumulator is back. We'll be giving you our selections in the German Bundesliga, the Austrian Bundesliga, and one of our favourite leagues here at the Backs to the Wall podcast, the Belarusian Premier Division. All that and more to come on the Backs to the Wall podcast. So as lockdown measures begin to be eased around the world, we are seeing some football come back and the Bundesliga got back underway a few weeks ago. Have any of you been watching any of the games in Germany? Yeah, well, I think like most people, I was quite excited when they announced the Bundesliga was coming back as it's the first time in, what, about over a month that we've had football on the telly. And last year, that keen and watching your Belarusian, Tajikistan and Taiwan league, like we've been following religiously but I kind of found it a bit weird like I was sat watching Dortmund against Schalke and I mean the, the football was okay but you kind of sensed that the pace wasn't there it was slower and without a crowd it just felt like a pre-season game. Yeah I managed to get a, a sort of a link on my phone for the game and I only watched it for the first sort of half hour 40 minutes and I kind of just faded out of interest with it and I, I was quite surprised because I was so excited for it to come back but just without the fans being there like the no, no atmosphere and it, you could just tell that the the players were maybe they were out of out of touch um, a little bit they'd obviously not been training as much and uh, haven't had games in a couple of months so for me it was quite apparent um, but it's not I don't think it's going to stop me when the Premier League or um, well, Liga comes back. I'm going to definitely get sat down and get tuned into it. I think as well, I mentioned the Dortmund Schalke game. It's, it's particularly one that really needs the atmosphere, and, and Borussia Dortmund are famous for it. What is it, the yellow wall they call it, and that um, stand in the ground? There's like 20 plus thousand people in it, and just for it to be so eerily quiet, uh, it was kind of hard to watch. I I felt just kind of awkward. Yeah, I think it kind of makes you realise how much you miss football that you can kind of not so much relate to but kind of have like a feeling for and know the players like of course we know of the Bundesliga but I don't think any of us can say what avid fans and you know some of the players but I think even in the Dortmund and Schalke team I I didn't know quite a lot of the players and you don't realise how much of an impact the crowd kind of does play on the game. Like even just hearing the players shout at each other and the coaches shout, like the atmosphere was just kind of like a, a Sunday game or something. One thing that might be interesting later on, especially when the Premier League returns, is when you can actually understand what the coaches are saying, whether it'll just be um, you can hear the tactics or whether or not you just hear people swearing all the time and I think it could be the latter. I think when you get into those lower teams down in the Bundesliga, it just really becomes a lot less interesting. Like aside from Bayern Munich, Dortmund, maybe Leipzig, Bayer Leverkusen, I suppose as well. But I mean, you're not going to really want to watch Dusseldorf and um, Hoffenheim 
on Saturday afternoon, you know. So, um, but that this is going to be the problem because in football closer to home, it doesn't seem that fans are going to be in the grounds anytime soon. I know that they've said it could be six to twelve months. People are saying that they they don't expect that they'll get into a, fo- a football stadium in 2020. So that's going to be something that's really going to be problematic for for football. There's going to be no atmosphere. Um, and, and that has a direct impact on when you're watching up the tally. You know, it's just not the same. I think one funny thing that one of the teams did, I'm not entirely sure who it was. It might have been Borussia Mönchengladbach, but I'm not 100% sure. They, like, had images of fans against one of the, behind the goal, and you could pay to have your, your photo in the stands, which I thought was quite funny. One thing FC Midgetland did from Denmark, they allowed fans to drive into their stadium car park and have two massive screens up where fans could kind of interact together and watch the game whilst maintaining a safe distance, which I suppose would be quite nice for the fans because you can kind of have some of that atmosphere with some of the the fans that would be there. I think there was about over 2,000 parking spaces were available. That would be an interesting um, idea to maybe bring back to the UK because if, if what Michael said is is correct and they're not able to to sort of put, put fans into the stadiums until the end of the year then that may be something that we could look into but again it's all going to be a, a cost um whether or not it's going to be cost effective for the teams because um and the amount of space that you're going to have available um outside your stadium some teams are going to have big car parking spaces other teams that are quite big like like Heart of Midlothian they've not got much um, space outside their stadium um, so it'd be more difficult for certain teams but it does look like something that we could look into Yeah I mean I think from personal experience what we've done at Sunderland I mean I know it's not the same thing I've still been going to the game but for cup games we've closed off like three stands and just had one stand open and even for me going there watching Sunderland that's just felt like a pre-season game and you've noticed the players just instantly slur because there's just not that atmosphere in the ground and I think that's kind of the worry that that might overlap onto like the Premier League games when they're back that it's not just going to have that I don't know kind of like final finish to it but yeah for, for me when I go watch watching then Sunderland games it just kind of feels like a nothing pre-season game because it, it's just weird you just kind of hear a thing and it just doesn't feel like it is football if you get me it's it kind of just shows what um sort of modern day football has become um and it goes back to the the old sort of um belief that football without fans is nothing and it, it, it shows that tv money and isn't everything because if you've not got fans in the ground it's still putting people off from from watching on tv i've, I've spoken to quite a quite a few people um out with sort of the um, the podcast group here and they've said the same thing that they maybe watched the first couple of games in the Bundesliga but then the sort of novelty novelty wore off and they were just kind of dying to get back into the stadiums themselves to watch it or watch back home rather than rather than tuning into the the German league where you don't know many of the players the difficulty especially in in um, the lower leagues in Scotland sort of some of the teams in the championship and a lot of teams in league one and league two they'll really struggle to survive um, if the new season kicks off in, in August um, and they can't get fans into the ground because their their main income source is the is the, the punters coming through the gates every week. Um, and it was the, the, I sure it was the Air United chairman, uh, he was saying that, that it's his opinion that many of the teams, um, I'm not sure if he included his own team, Air United, but he made specific reference to League One and League Two in Scotland saying that um, he's, he would fear for the, the existence of, of many of these these ancient clubs um, 
so I think it was a Peter Head, um, their manager, Jim McAnally, was was also saying that he'd sort of pushed for um, not even joining the football league um, this season, just taking it taking a year out rather than rather than um, going in behind closed doors where you can't you can't make any money. You'll be just losing money every week and just saying just void next season entirely till all this is over and just start again in the next season. But it's all up in the air at the minute and everyone's just sort of coming out with their own statements and beliefs and we don't we don't really know what's going to happen in the next few months yeah i think that is the problem for um a lot of those teams who don't don't rely on the tv money but more rely on um like you say the fans coming through the gates i know that's the case over here i saw one of the papers earlier they had um surveyed um irish league irish premiership teams and around about 70 percent of them want the season to be finished now because they don't think their clubs can afford to continue having to play with no fans. But on the other hand, around about the same percentage of them don't want the title to be given to Linfield, who are four <laughs> points clear. Um, so it's it does seem that fans are in favour of, of it they're just being written off. We just cancel the season, pretend it pretend it never happened. Nobody gets nobody gets the trophy and nobody gets relegated. Um but like you say, you can see how that's going to be an issue for some of the teams who, Linfield, for example, four points clear, and have won, well, at least their, I think their last six games or something anyway. There are there are other teams, I'm sure it'll be the, similar in, in Northern Ireland, Michael, is that like Dunfermline and Queen of the South are great examples. That um, Dunfermline released uh, all 17 um, members of their first team squad last week because they said that they can't, they can't go... Um, go on with these players um, in the uncertainty, and they need to preserve the the sort of um, the clubs. They need to, sorry, they need to preserve they need to preserve the club, um, and that comes first. Um, what seemed pretty harsh about that though was that teams like my team, Partick Thistle and Wraith Rovers, they they extended all the contracts that were supposed to be up um, at the end of last week. They extended them for a further month. Um, to still give them a paycheck um, and they also are using the government furlough grant um, to keep the players on for another month um, whereas it seems pretty unfair that these players have just been um, told like you're you're out the door I believe they got a, a 10 minute a 10 minute interview a 10 minute phone call um, with the manager uh, and or chairman um, but that was all they got and they just told that that's use you're you're out the door and some of the boys um, from Dunfermline like Paul Payton or um, Lee Ashcroft, they'll have a bit of money behind them. They've had decent careers, but some of the younger boys, they'll they'll have to go straight out and um, and find jobs to to keep them going. Um, so it's it's worrying. Like Queen of the South did a similar thing, and they released about fourteen, fifteen of their first team players. They only kept three on the books. One of them was a reserve goalkeeper, and there was um, <laughs> Stephen Dobby. You can tell why they've kept him. Um, but it's just I find it just just pretty crazy that. What's happening in football at the minute? It's um, it's really sad to see. I mean, for you see the players and at this level, and they don't get as much money as as people think, and uh, it's, it's their livelihoods that are at stake. Um, so, well, I know uh, over over here, um, the way it is currently is that the Northern Irish Premiership has until the end of July to finish this current season. Um, and I think they have until the end of June to make a decision on it, whether or not they're going to play their games. Um, so they, they they have no obligation to to have made that decision clear until the end of this month. Um, and I was reading a lot of a lot of the players 
had been interviewed recently. One of them actually I saw today, Jonathan Tuffy, who you'll remember, <laughs> Jamie, uh, played for Thistle, played for uh, Inverness as well, and St. Johnson. And he's currently at Glenavon, and he was saying that although he's desperate to get back to playing football, he will not play until he can be sure that he's going to be safe. Um, sure. So it's balancing up this, you know, wanting to play the game, wanting to earn a living, um, but obviously the, I guess health, the health of the players and 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 well, everyone involved in the game has to be the most important, most most important factor. But going down into to England, they're they're in a similar situation to that of um of Johnny Tuffy um in Northern Ireland, and that there's a number of players at Charlton, uh, Lyle Taylor, Chris Sully, and David Davis. They've they've refused um, to play if um, the champion if the if the leagues in England Championship and League One get back underway um, in the next few weeks because there's so much uncertainty surrounding it. I mean, if you have a a young family at home, a pregnant wife, or some of the other players, they may be living with their their parents. Some of the young players, um, and they they won't want to bring the virus home if they're in such close proximity playing football to their to their their colleagues or their their teammates and the opposing players then. I can see why some of them are um, up in arms and saying that they won't <clears throat> they won't play, but it's a, it's going to be difficult because I suppose they're contracted to play, but um, it's such um, it's such difficult circumstances at the minute, and I really well, don't know. Well, you've mentioned England there, and I think that one of the most interesting leagues in all of this will be will be League One, and Andrew can probably tell us a bit more about that because, as far as I understand, they're discussing at the moment a, a a points per per game way of deciding so you could have um a, a team in eighth say wickham could get into the playoffs and sunderland who are a position ahead of them well presumably on goal difference may not but andrew you could probably explain that a bit better yeah well i think league one is probably one of the more interesting leagues to look at in terms of what's going to happen to it You've got the Championship, which is the league above, that are going to play, and then League Two, which is evidently below, that their season's already finished. And I was th- thinking when they voted to end League Two, I just assumed that would be our league over. There's been so many different disputes of what they're going to do, because I think, well, we're one of the main uh, teams that want to continue the season, but I think Peterborough are quite a big advocate. I think their chairman's been going a bit crazy recently because they're sick at the minute but with the points per game thing they drop out the playoffs and I think one thing that they said they're going to do is if they do cancel the season they're still going to go ahead with the playoffs which would mean they would miss out but then another thing they've talked about is this eight-team playoff which sounds kind of ridiculous is surely you can't really do that but I think the one interesting thing with League One, you've got such a varying kind of like financial ways where you've got teams who are kind of at a championship level in wages and kind of sustainability, but then teams like Berry who didn't even play this year, they're no longer in the football league. So like we were saying before, it is all about finances and it's kind of a worrying time of what is right and what is wrong to do in the situation. One interesting thing I've seen that Didier Deschamps was saying that it was quite clearly all revenue based and what was happening. Like you were seeing the top teams return because they make the most money for the media. Whereas you've got nearly all of the women's football, for example, cancelled. A lot of the lower, lower league teams, uh, leagues ending. 
you've got all the Scottish leagues finished already, but the football that makes the money is coming back. And you've kind of got a question, why is that? Is that a footballing reason or is that for financial gain? Nah, you're, you're absolutely right, Andrew. It's, uh, it's quite scandalous in a way when you think of it. It's a great point you made about the women's football, um, how that's been how that's been cancelled and or ended ended early. Um, it just shows you that when you have money and you have sort of um, you have the the TV the TV deals uh, on the table, that it just shows that how much control you can have. I think one other interesting thing about the Premier League was. Well, how quite clearly it's money orientated why they're coming back because if they didn't play, they were due to pay like Sky and BT back something stupid, like a stupid amount of money that they'd already got. So evidently they were pushing to play it because they didn't want to give this money back. I see Troy Deeney, who's kind of been a big advocate in not playing, he said that this isn't going to be the season that we remember. Liverpool being the best team and dominating the league and winning the title, this is going to be the season that been affected by the virus. It kind of makes league titles less significant. I mean, you look at Celtic already winning the league, making it nine in a row, but is it really that special of a title for them? It's difficult, yeah. and I know it's and it's a it's a shame, especially for Liverpool because they've waited so long to win, and they're clearly going to do that. They were the by far the most the, the best team. In, in England this season, and they weren't going to get caught, and um, and Celtic were the were the same. I mean, there, there are so many points ahead, um, not quite as many as Liverpool, but I, I doubt very much that they would have got caught. Um, and I'm sure it'll feel somewhat a bit like a, I don't know, tainted, I suppose, in a way. Um, I know a lot of people are wanting an asterisk to be put next to the um, the official sort of official figures and the official. Um, sort of standings in the league when they're putting the record books there'll be an asterisk next to Celtic's name um, just, and it'll obviously say at the bottom um, th- there's sort of the subtext that it was the year the coronavirus struck but uh, at the same time um, things aren't fair in football I mean Thistle getting relegated wasn't very fair and you just have to I suppose you just have to get on with it football's when you think about it um, coronavirus is, is taking the lives of so many at the minute and when you really sort of break it down to the bare bones it's football is just a game and it needs to sort of take second second place I agree of course football comes second in all of this but it, it kind of also helps bring a sense of normality back like when you see the football on on the Saturday it's like kind of like things are finally getting back to where they were even if we're not going to go at the games but I think for for Liverpool fans it is so sad for them as they're not going to be able to have these wild celebrations like they did last year when they won the Champions League. I'm sure they'll still enjoy it, but it's just not going to feel as special. Like I, th- I think it's just it's just going to look weird. I mean, if if they lift the trophy in front of like no one, I think it's just going to feel like a less significant title win. I I absolutely think it will. Um, and I know a lot of Liverpool fans will will hate to hear this, but the bottom line is people aren't going to. Troy Deeney's absolutely right. You're not going to remember, you know, yes, Liverpool have waited so long, and maybe their own fans will, but everybody is is just going to remember how much of an anti-climax the season was. They're not going to get the the big kind of, you know, uh, double-decker bus going through the city centre, and and they could well win the trophy at a neutral ground. Like, So we'll have to be, we'll have to be realistic here. It, it, it will be an anti-climatic finish to the, to the season. 
Um, and that is such a shame for, for Liverpool fans because, as Jimmy said, they've waited so long for it. I've got a friend, Josh, who supports Leeds and he was he was in a similar situation that they've been sort of stuck in, um, sort of, they were stuck in the Championship in League One for, for many years after being at the top of English football for a lot of their a lot of their existence and they're um, trying to make their way back and when their sort of title push in the Championship was under threat and there was a, sort of the talk of null and voiding the season in the Championship a few Weeks or months ago, he was um, he was sort of distraught, thinking that the one season that it looked it looked like they were going to get back up to the Premier League and back to sort of where they belong um, was going to be taken away from them from them. But it does look like the 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 Championship is going to get back underway again um, in a couple of weeks. So I'm sure many people will be looking forward to that. But yeah, I think that is one thing to kind of look forward to and kind of more of a sense of intrigue as to how the Premier League and championship play out if they're the only ones we get to see because we haven't really paid more attention we know more of the players and we're kind of invested in the teams hopefully we get league one back as well as kind of in <laughs> typical Sunderland fashion we were in the playoffs our last three games we picked up one point which uh, made us fall out of the playoffs on goal difference so yeah <laughs> I'm pretty much preparing for another season in League One, which I can't wait for. Looking more into the into the championship, I noticed that um the QPR um chairman, he he was saying that he he can't believe that they're even talking about um bringing football back in a couple of weeks and saying that it's definitely not not the right time and that they weren't properly consulted and that they they haven't got um proper advice from from the doctors who are who are sort of influential in the game. Um Saying it's it's just way too much of a way too much of a risk, um, and I suppose you can take them as quite an unbiased opinion as they're sitting, I think, around mid table at twelfth, I think. So, but then at the other end you have Middlesbrough, um, and their manager he was he was saying that they're they're raring to go, um, and their opinion is that they want football back um, as soon as possible, and if it is the I think the twentieth of June or where it is coming back, um, and he says that they're they're ready to go and that that's what they want. So it's just it's. It's weird that you can have such the two different clubs can have such differing opinions on the matter. One thing I was wanting to also um, put to you guys was about sort of player contracts and and things. I mean, are they just going to be extended until the the season's finished, or are they going to be able to sign sign new players, or are people going to be um, released from their contracts in the next month and not be able to complete the season like down in England? I, I just that was one thing that was on my mind that I just didn't really know how they're going to do it. One thing that they said was that I think like contracts were going to be automatically extended till the end of the season because I think our contracts run out, is it the 30th of June they run out? Something like that. But I, I think how you were saying what they were doing in Scotland about teams just releasing players, I think that's going to be the case for a lot of teams that is going to release players and then I can quite well see them re-signing a lot of them when we get back to normal ways now we'll move on then to our send them to the reserves feature we'll each nominate a player and put forward a case of why they've been particularly poor on or off the pitch and then vote to send one of those players to the reserves who would like to go first this week i'm going back to my route this week and i'll be nominating former Sunland player and world cup runner-up ricky alvarez this is a bit of a long and complicated one but hear me out as it probably explains why Sunderland are in the situation we are in due to the mismanagement of finances at the top. Alvarez is getting nominated himself for being at the forefront in what can only be described as the most Sunderland piece of transfer business going. 
I still don't really understand how or what has happened in this saga. Basically, Alvarez was signed in the 2014-15 season on loan from Inter Milan. He joined with a decent pedigree, having played 70 games for Inter and having a World Cup runners-up medal with Argentina. The people involved in the transfer thought so much about Alvarez that if we stayed up, we would have had to have uh, signed him permanently for 10 million. This then becomes the main issue of this story. Anyway, Alvarez himself was a big disappointment, only featuring 13 times in the league, and his only goal came at Fulham in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Alvarez missed the majority of the season with a knee injury, but Sunderland stayed up, so you would have thought we would have just had to pay the 10 million and got the player. But no, Sunderland never do things the easy way. Instead, we try to dispute his fitness, claiming Inter avoided the contract due to refusing to let Alvarez have surgery on his knee. This then ended into a huge court case as we refused to sign the player. Alvarez himself had to wait a year before joining another club. He became a free agent and joined Sampdoria. Around the same time he was signing for them, the court ruled in favour of Inter Milan, meaning that we'd had to pay £10 million for a player that was contracted to another team. The worst thing now is we're still pay- paying for him. The money went out in the first season in League One, and Alvarez has now filed a loss of earnings to the court. This could mean we have we will have to pay a total of around twenty million for a player that only played seventeen games whilst he was on loan at us. For the sheer ridiculousness of this transfer saga, I feel like Alvarez has to be put in the reserves. I mean, a League One team is having to fork out nearly twenty million for a player we don't own and will never own again. Sorry, Ricky, but get to the reserves. <laughs> Well, I better take the take the floor next, and that was a it was a long-winded one, but it was well worth the wait in the end because that's just a it's such a bizarre a bizarre set of circumstances, and it's one that I haven't I haven't ever heard of really in football before. But um, mine's a little bit more straightforward, as it's um, it's Chris Uvalumo, the um, the four-time Scotland international who um, is most famous for his horrific, and I mean honestly horrific miss against Norway back in. In 2008, and um, yeah, to set the scene a little bit, Ulmo um, had had a reasonable career um, before 2008. He'd played for um, Stoke, and I think he was at Wolves at the time, so he had a bit of pedigree about him. And it was the the 2010 World Cup qualifiers, and as I said before, Scotland were playing playing Norway at Hamden, and <laughs> Scott Brown had the ball um out in the left wing and took around a couple of players and he slipped in um Gary Naismith who then put the ball on an absolute plate for Chris Uvalumo who had, was about four yards out and he somehow somehow skewed it wide. The first Scott Brown in the Norway half cuts on his side to Naismith Naismith I remember I was at one of my friends' house back back home in Oban, and um, 
he just, we were all up and down. There's about eight of us there, and we're all jumping all over each other, thinking that Scotland had scored. And um, the commentators, <laughs> the commentators thought so as well. And I remember them shouting something like, "The boy from from Coat Bridge has put Scotland in front," <laughs> which, which is, um, which is, is hilarious, and it's, it's well worth a watch on YouTube, and it's featured on on the likes of Soccer AM um, for one of the worst, the worst misses in in history. But and what made it worse was this was his debut. He'd, he'd, he came off the bench in this game, and uh, and the game ended nil nil, and um, he only appeared I think three other times for for Scotland. So he sort of it was a bit of a curse for him. Um, and his career sort of I was I was looking at some of his stats just to add a bit more of, about why I think he should be sent to the reserves. Is that he had eighteen clubs in his career, and I think it was um, for thirteen of those clubs as a striker he never managed to score any more than, than five goals. And at quite a few of those 13, he, he didn't even score more than one. So I think Chris Ubalomo's a, a, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. And uh, I noticed on when I was looking at his Wikipedia as well that he, he's got a, a got himself a sports degree in sort of um, uh, in sort of the journalism side of, of sport and football. Yeah, he's my he's my vote to go to the reserves this week. Very good. Interestingly, this week, I think we've, we've all possibly nominated players for different reasons. Um, Andrew for that uh, transfer scandal. Jamie for that um, rather poor miss. And uh, I am nominating Ryo Miyachi, uh, the uh, Japanese professional, plays for St. Pauli currently. Uh, actually, I think he plays for St. Pauli's second team at the moment. But uh, Ryo Miyachi was touted to be the next big player. And most of you, if you do remember him, will remember when he signed for Arsenal. That was in 2011. Um, he had been hailed the Japanese Messi. The media had given him the nickname Ryo Dino, um, comparing him to Ronaldinho. And everybody just said, and Arsene Wenger has said so many times about how this player had such raw ability and that they were had to fight to sign him. Well... Rio Miachi, after all these clubs desperate to sign him, I don't think he scored a single goal in English football. Um, he played for a while at Arsenal, was alone then at Bolton and Wigan, and um, ultimately couldn't cut it in England, had a few injury problems, ended up in uh, Holland, had a spell at 20, and uh, now he's at FC uh, St. Pauli, and it's it's just been a really, really disappointing career. Um Fair enough, he was at Arsenal at a time when they had they had a couple of handy wing, wingers. Uh, Theo Walcott would have been there. I would have said uh, Andre Arshavin as well. And Oxlade-Chamberlain probably would have been playing in around then. But he was he was just so disappointing. Um, and a player that had that potential, and he's, he's ended up playing for uh, FC St. Pauli's uh, second-string team. So, yeah, this week I, I'm nominating Rio Miyachi. Nothing personal, but... When you when you when you're touted as being the Japanese Messi and uh, Rio Dino and you don't score a single goal in England, there's there's something not right. I think it I think it's quite difficult when when you're touted um, like that to be the next best thing, especially when it's such a young age. Um, the pressures must be unbelievable um, for you because it, it happened to to Ryan Gold from Scotland. He was he was at Dundee United and he was said to be the Scottish Messi and he went to Sport in Lisbon. And the exact same thing happened to him. He's just kind of, well, he's just been promoted up into the, from the second tier of uh, Portuguese football back up to the, the top flight. Um, 
but he, he's never hit the heights at all. He left Sport in Lisbon last season and never hit the heights. So it's I think pressure is such a a big thing, and it must be so hard when you're such a young age. But I think you've got quite a strong case there, Michael. I think the one thing I remember about Rio Miachi is he had a insane FIFA card. I don't know what FIFA it was, but he was rapid. Yes, yes. I actually forgot to mention this, Andrew. This was one of the other reasons why I'd nominated him, because uh, in FIFA 14, he was uh, was 71 overall on Ultimate Team, but he was 94 pace. And just that that's obviously just been the type of player he was. He was just rapid and probably could beat players for pace, but had had no sort of end product. So, uh, yeah. Now, that 71, it was a silver card in FIFA 14, and it just looks disgusting. 94 pace and 78 dribbling. But um, I suppose we should vote now. Anybody like to put forward? One of the reasons that the Chris Ubalumo miss was in my head was that myself and our other co-host, Scott, we used to chat about, about this miss all the time. It, it just it made us laugh and almost cry at the same time because it's honestly, it's unbelievable. And if you do get a chance at all, um, give give a, it's about forty second clip on YouTube and give it a watch because this message he's, he's about four yards out and he somehow like scuffs it he just scuffs it wide and it's, it's so much easier to score so yeah I know that Scott would have definitely enjoyed my nomination this week but um, I don't know about you boys but um, I really think that Chris Ulmo has to go. Yeah, I've just uh, I've just watched that uh, Chris Iwilumo miss. Um, I think I had seen it, but not for a long time, and it is absolutely horrific. Also, I'm on his his Wikipedia page, and um, he didn't score a single goal for the national team. Now, bear in mind, he only played a handful of times, but uh, he really should have scored that one. So, I think uh, this week I'm I'm willing to side with Jamie on this one, and I'd send Chris Iwilumo to the reserves. Yeah, I think. <laughs> Taxi for Chris. <laughs> it was the, the commentary on the video as well. If you watch the Soccer AM one, the Scottish commentary on it is brilliant. I think uh, Chris gets my vote as well. I mean, that miss, I don't really know how you would describe it without actually watching it yourself. It is just ludicrous. Like, how someone could miss that. I mean, I kind of know a bit about him to know. I'm pretty sure he was a, a target man, but Christ. <laughs> I mean, it was put, it was putting a plate for him. For it was a really was, good ball in. <laughs> the goalie was in no man's land. So I think what we've decided then it's going to be Chris Iwalumo who joins a long list of players on the backs to the wall podcast reserves bench. So that's uh, Chris Iwalumo, James Forrest, um, Scott Brown, Matt Phillips, Stuart Armstrong's there, and then before that we've had Piccolo and Altidore. Gabriel okay, so congratulations <laughs> to uh, Chris Iwalumo. That concludes our Send into the Reserves feature this week. Finally, just one more thing to do, and that is our lockdown accumulator. Now, interestingly enough, this week we do have more football to bet on. So we are actually able to bet on a few teams who we've, we've heard of before, but still we'll be having a trip to uh, the Belarusian Premier League as well. So who'd like to get us underway this week? We're We've gone for the German Bundesliga, the Austrian Bundesliga, and the Belarusian Premier League. Well, yeah, I can I can kick us off here. And um, in the German Bundesliga, um, I've gone for a home win for Frankfurt against Mainz, and they were on it ten to eleven to win there. Um, in the Austrian Bundesliga, I've gone for 
uh, and Austria Vienna win against um, St. Poulton and they were 21 to 20 but they're away from home so perhaps a dodgy one there um, and in the Belarusian league I've gone for a new one I hadn't picked this one before and it's um, Slavia Moser um, to beat um, Nom- Nerman Gredno and they're 5 to 4 but they're a they're home uh, that's a bit, that was a home one I've gone for there uh, and a fiver will bring you back a nice £44 and 3 pence so I'm looking forward to spending that when I get out of lockdown I probably had more chance of winning when I was betting on the Taiwan League but I'll give it a go again my Belarusian team is Torpedo Bellas they're away at FC Slutsk at 23-20 my Austrian Bundesliga team is also Austria-Vienna to beat uh, St. Poulton, and my German team is Hoffenheim to beat Fortuna Dusseldorf. £5 returns you £54.18, and I'm hoping to get into positive figures this week. Yeah, it's funny, you know, we don't talk about what teams we're going to pick in advance of this, and we we do seem to all centre around similar teams, and the bookies just must be rubbing their hands together when they see this. I have (laughs) also opted for uh, Austria-Vienna, uh, away to St. Paulton. Um, I've also taken Hoffenheim away to Fortuna Dusseldorf. However, in the Belarusian Premier League, I have gone for FC Slutska. So uh, they were a pretty juicy 21 to 10 at home to Torpedo. Belaz and a fiver treble on those three returns 78 pounds and 12 pence. So if the, the listeners at home want to send us in their own uh, lockdown accumulators and That'd be interesting to see. You'll be no doubt better than us. And also you can send us in your own players that you think should be nominated for um, our reserve feature as well. It'd be interesting to have a take from the listeners at home. Please, if you're watching on YouTube, give us a like, subscribe to the channel. And if you're listening on Spotify, Anchor and Apple Podcasts, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. That would really help. And if you have any queries, we have our email address, which is backstothewallpod at gmail.com. So that just about wraps up the podcast for this week. We will, of course, be back next week with a brand new episode. And as Andrew said, do remember, check us out on YouTube, subscribe and leave a review. And listen on Spotify and Apple Music. Follow us there as well. Do get in touch with us on our Facebook and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. And we hope to have you listening again very soon. Bella ciao, bella ciao, bella ciao, ciao, ciao. Back to the closing music. Scott Brown in the Norway half. Cutter is sighted. Nice miss. Pitch it. The boy from Cockbridge has put Scotland in front. He's up. Does it please would win it, huh? The He's missed it. He missed Oh, my God. I don't believe it. He missed that. He's over the wall. What happened there? He missed that. Oh, no. Oh, we all oh. celebrate here. He's missed it from two yards. Chris Elalumu has missed it from two yards. It looked like it hit the back of the net.